0: And if you would mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament of 2 Chronicles, the book of 2 Chronicles and chapter number three, the book of 2 Chronicles and chapter number three, we're continuing to go through the life and ministry of Solomon, examining his life and watching as he is his parentage and his lineage. We watched as David did everything he could to prepare Solomon to succeed in following God's will. We saw the events that brought about of Solomon becoming king. And then we witnessed as Solomon began his reign, having a clean house, making preparations, making alliances, getting things set up. And now we watch as Solomon prepares to build his most significant event, Uh, building within the reign of Solomon. And that is going to be the Hebrew temple found inside of Jerusalem. Now, both of the messages today and tonight are going to be preparatory messages for this temple to understand the importance of this. What's going on? We're going to talk a little bit more this morning about the site. Where is this temple going to be built? And then tonight we'll talk about each of the three different temples mentioned in the Bible and have a great discernment about why it was so important to the Lord. As for now, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 3 in verse number 1, the Bible says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David prepared in the threshing floor of Oran the Jebusite and if you're in the habit of marking things in your bible would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2nd Chronicles chapter 3 2nd Chronicles chapter 3 and notice with me verse 1 this location Mount Moriah Mount Moriah And with the Lord's help, we're going to explore through the Bible history how important this event, how this little hill inside of Jerusalem became an important part of so many biblical events. Let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're asking for your grace and for your mercy to be able to be with my voice, my thoughts, my health, my ability. I give all of those to you and you use them as you see fit to glorify your own name. I'm asking that we would glorify who you are, your wisdom, your grace, your omnipotence, your omnipresence, that we could see that you are a big God and that we could trust you with the significant events and the minor events within inside of our life, knowing that you see it all. I'm asking that you would just help us as we walk through the Bible here, and that this would be something that would make us go, wow. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen. As we can see as Solomon's preparing to build the temple, the Bible takes time to give us the location. Not only is this location inside of Jerusalem, but remember Jerusalem is built on several different hills. That one of those hills is going to be later on known as the Temple Mount was known as Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. And this location is going to be the location of many significant events throughout biblical history. And we're going to see that whereas man might not see how big this was, God sees everything and has seen the end from the beginning. Let's go to the very first mention of this site back in the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis and chapter number 22. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22, and a very familiar Bible story that we find located here in Genesis 22. And if you don't mind, let's walk through this event, Genesis 22. Let's start at verse number one, and let's see the significant event that occurs here. Genesis chapter 22, and notice with me verse one. And it came to pass after these things, what things are we talking about, by the way? Well, you see, God had promised Abraham that he was going to have a son and that he waited and waited and waited. And finally, at 100 years old, he had the son of promise by the name of Isaac. Well, Isaac grew up and Isaac is now getting bigger and bigger. And Abraham's so glad. I mean, can you imagine waiting 100 years to have a kid? Do you think that kid was a little bit honored in the house? Absolutely. This is something you'd wanted all of his life. So after this, God decides he wants to see if Abraham loves his son more than he loves God. So let's see this test. Verse number one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I should tell thee of. So God tells Abraham, Abraham, we're going to have a test. I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to take him to a place that I want to point out to you, this place is going to called Mount Moriah. Now, Abraham, you don't realize how important this event's going to be, but I already know which place I'm going to, I can guide you to the exact place I want you to go to because God knows everything. And he knows where we should go and he knows what he wants to do. And he's going to do this important major miracle. He's going to do this important Bible event that even Sunday school kids know of this story. And it's going to be at a certain location. It is not at a random location. It's not an arbitrary location. It is a purposeful location because God has plans for this place. Notice as it goes on. Verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. Now we learn some things over here. We see that Abraham obeyed immediately. He rose up early in the morning. Why did he... O- rise up early in the morning? Why did he obey immediately? Because if we start delaying our obedience, there's more of a chance we won't obey. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine this. God saying, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him to a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. Do you understand? That's a big ask. Do you think there's a lot of things working against Abraham not to go through with this? And so he obeys immediately so he can't be tempted not to obey. Notice as it goes on. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had prepared for him. You know, we see something else here. He prepared himself to obey. He gathered everything he might need, all the supplies he needs. So that way he didn't forget. Again, another reason why sometimes we don't obey is because, oh, I don't have everything that I need. Oh, I, I, the reason why I can't follow along with the Bible in church is I forgot my Bible. You know, we have these reasons why we don't obey. If you prepare to obey, you're more likely going to obey. Notice as it goes on. Verse 4 Then the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. We could see that Abraham removed those things that might stop his obedience. Do you think if these two young men were with him on the mountain, they might have an objection or two? So he left them aside because he didn't want them to be a hindrance of his obedience. So he goes on. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Now, This is interesting. Isaac is going to be carrying the tools for his own sacrifice. It's laid upon his own body. And he took the fire in his hand and took a knife and they both went together. And Isaac said to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? What Abraham's doing here is he's teaching Isaac about submission. This is what God's given us to do. Trust me, God is going to provide himself a lamb. Verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. Verse number nine, and they came to the place which God told him of. Class, where is this at? Mount Mount Moriah. God brought him to a specific place on purpose. And which God told him of, and Abraham built an altar and laid the wood in order and bound up his son Isaac and laid upon the altar upon the wood. Now let's pause. Oftentimes people have, because of Sunday school, a different picture in the head of what's going on. At this time, Abraham is 133 years old. Isaac is 33. Something we understand about physics and idea is that there's no way a 133 year old man is going to forcibly put a 33 year old man in his own in good health on the altar, not willing. Does that make sense? You know what happened? Abraham told Isaac, Isaac trusted his father and willingly laid himself upon the altar. Now, of course, this is going to be a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ willingly took our death upon his body and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He paid our price for us and he willingly laid himself down. No one forced Jesus upon the cross. He willingly laid down his life. You know, that's a great relationship between a father and a son is that Abraham had taught his son submissiveness. Do you trust me? You know, that has to be taught. Do your children obey you like this? Most of you, if you were to reenact this story and say, hey, son, I want you to lay on this altar. God's going to take care of you. They're like, nope. Think about it. He was willing to obey his father because he had a trust. There should be an obedience that is taught. We are to obey biblical authority. By the way, without this obedience to biblical authority, the miracle couldn't have happened. And without the obedience to biblical authority of Jesus dying on the cross, our salvation could not have happened. It only happened because of obedience to biblical authority. This is one of the big things that's being taught in this lesson here. You know, so many times people in our country mix freedom with liberty. They are not the same thing. Our freedom and rebellion. People think that if I rebel, that's true liberty. As we saw in Sunday school this morning, it is not. True liberty is falling in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and willingly serving him. And with it comes great blessings. Our flesh wants to rebel against anything authority gives to us. Notice as we go on to this story, verse number 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Now we understand that Abraham was waiting for God to do something. Do you think that when the angel said, Hey, Abraham, Abraham, he said, Hold on a second, I need to finish this. Do you think he was waiting to go, Urge, waiting to say, All right, stop? He was waiting for that. All right, yes, yes, whatever you want. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Do you understand that this is a big thing? Why did God put Abraham to the test? Because so many parents choose to love their kids more than God. How do you know? Because they won't obey God in what God has given them to do, how to raise their kids. You choose who is your God, your children or you or or God. You choose. He chose God and because of that, God honored and blessed it. You cannot get away from God's blessings. We have to do things God's way. And God rewarded him from it. Verse number 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket of the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt sacrifice in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. The word Jehovah-Jireh is a name of God that means the Lord will provide. And as we start off with this picture of Mount Moriah, we start with the very first picture that God brought Abraham to a place to test him, to see if Abraham's love for God was more than his love for his children. And when God was able to see that Abraham loved God more than his kids, that God was number one in his life, God was able to provide blessings that came. And that place, Mount Moriah, was also known as Jehovah-Jireh, the place where God provides. Now let's build upon this history here. So we have this significant history. Let's fast forward. This happens in approximately, um, throwing dates out, 1800. Let's fast forward 800 years to the year 1000 and we come to another significant event notice with me to 2nd Samuel chapter 5 2nd Samuel chapter 5 those are roundabout dates but just giving us a taste of something 2nd Samuel chapter 5 in 2nd Samuel chapter 5 we're continuing with the story of David. David is now king. He's been ruling in the city of Hebron for 7 years. But now that he is the king of both the united kingdom of all 12 tribes of Israel, now God is going to bring him to a place where Abraham is going to or where David is going to establish his brand new capital city. And again, he is not going to realize what a big deal this is, but this capital city is going to end up being the capital of the entire world in the millennial kingdom. Sort of an important event, right? Notice with me in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and notice with me in verse 6. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. So they go to this city in the back of their territory, which was previously called Jebus. That's where the Jebusites lived. They were a part, they were Canaanites. And so they come to the backyard to this hill, to these series of mountains, uh, little hills, where the Jebusites had built their city. And now David approaches it, verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, and the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou takest away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in here. Thinking David cannot come in here. Now this is some political language. This idea of the blind and the... um, and the lame were their reference to the fortresses and the defense of the city. So they said, unless you take away our defenses, you take away our gates, you take away our walls, you take away our doors, you take those away, you can't come in. You can't beat us. Now, again, this is a city that's built on a hill. So what happens is that they have the hill, they have walls surrounding the hill. So in order to conquer it, you don't, come straight across the plain, you have to go uphill just to get to the walls and then try to find a way to climb over the walls when you're already in an incline. It's a strategic position. So these Jebusites said, you know what? We've got this. There's nothing you could do. You can't take away what we trust you in. We've nicknamed our walls and our gates as the blind and the lame. You can't defeat us. There's no way you could do this. So David turns around, notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number uh, seven. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. Remember, Zion is another name for Jerusalem, which is also going to include Mount Moriah. The same as the city of David. And David said on that day, whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind, that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called the city of David, uh, called it the city of David. And David built round about the Milo and inward. And David went on and grew, and the Lord of hosts was with him. And Hiram, the king of Tyre, we've talked about him, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and mason, and they built David a house inside of this city. And David perceived that the Lord hath established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people for Israel's sake. So what we see is that David went and took this city And as he built the city, uh, conquered it, by the way, for those of you who remember such things, it was Joab who went and volunteered to take the city, and he's the one who got it for David. David now takes the city and says, you know what, let's dedicate this to the Lord. And then Hiram, the king of Tyre, said, hey, you need some supplies, let me send it to you. And they were able to start building this city, which is going to be an important location. But we're not done yet. There's more things that happen within this city. Notice with me 2 Samuel 24. 2 Samuel 24. Now, as David continued to reign as king, he was not a perfect king. He made some major mistakes. Towards the end of his reign, there was another major mistake that David, out of his pride, said, you know what, let's count how many soldiers I have. Let's count how big my army is. And the idea wasn't just for inventory. It was the idea that he wanted to know how great he was. I'm so great I have all these people willing to fight for me. I'm so great I have all these people that are at my command. And he goes to number the people and go do a census throughout the entire nation and this is so bad that Joab, who is definitely not a good guy, tells David, "Hey, you know what this is not right, you shouldn't do this now." when Joab is giving you a moral advice, you know that you're not in the good place, but David does it anyways. And God is not happy because David should have been trusting in God rather than his own strength and his own might. So notice as we pick up in mid-story in verse 2 Samuel 24 and verse 10. 2 Samuel 24 verse 10. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly, in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, Lord, take away the iniquity of my servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Gad and David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it to thee. So Gad came to David and said and told him unto him, shall seven years of famine come to thee in the land, or will thou flee three months before the enemies that, while they pursue thee, or that there be three days pestilence in the land? Now advise and see what answer I return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in great strait, for let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. Let me not fall in the hand of the man. So let's pause. So David messed up and he messed up badly. Remember, all of our things have consequences. Because David had trusted in himself and not God, God needed to show that God is, is the king of David, that David has to answer before God. So he sent the preacher with a choice. You got three things to choose from, David. Take your pick. You want seven years of famine or seven months of famine. Let me make sure. Seven years of famine. So that means seven years where the rain doesn't come. Seven years where grass isn't going to grow. Seven years where animals are going to starve. Seven years where the people are going to starve. Seven years of suffering for your whole nation because of your actions. Well, that doesn't sound fun, does it? how about this? How about three months where you're running for your life? Now remember, David's already done this twice. And then before he was king, he was doing that for many years. I don't want to go back and do that. let's, Let's not repeat that. Let's not have someone running after me for three years running for my life. Let's not do that. So the last choice, how about this? Three days of pestilence. Which one do you want? Three days of pestilence in the land. This means that disease is going to come and that people are going to drop like flies. It's just going to be a serious illness that comes, kind of equivalent to the same things that hit Egypt during Moses's day. You want three days of supernatural sickness to come and destroy your people. Well, David started thinking in his head. In fact, we have more of a story in 2 Chronicles where he doesn't answer anything. He says, nope, I don't know how to choose. God says, listen if you don't choose, I will choose for you and I'm going to pick something else. So David was kind of forced as God prompted him. We see that in 2 Chronicles. We're not going to turn there, but now I've got a choice. So seven years, pestilence, where it's a slow death. Three months of running where I'm in personal peril and people are going to suffer and bleed to keep me protected. Or three days of pestilence. Well, he says, shorter time, let's do this. So he picks pestilence after some hemming and hawing and God prompting him. So let's see what happens. Verse number 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning, even to the time appointed. And there died people of Dan, even of Beersheba, 70,000 men. Now remember, David had finished counting the men, trying to see how big of a army he had, how many people depend upon him, and God took away what he was trusting in. And it came when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it. The Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough. Stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord was at the threshing place of Aruna the Jebusite. Now hopefully your pass keeping things in order. We talked about Jebusites before, right? They're in this little city of Mount Moriah of Jerusalem. So there's a Jebusite that's still living there and he's living on top of a hill and the angel of the Lord stops. Now, can you imagine that you go out to the barn and turn around and there's an angel of the Lord with a sword just standing there? That'd be kind of weird, scary, frightening. And so they tell David this. Verse 17, and David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, lo, I've sinned and I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And David's now saying, listen, it's my fault. Put the blame upon me. Uh, Take the punishment on me. Don't take it on on these folks. And Gad, the preacher, came that day to David and said, go up, rear an altar to the Lord in the threshing floor of Anurah, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up to the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming on towards him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king upon the face of the ground. So imagine this. Out in the barn, you got the angel of the Lord who's now in a pause with his sword, just sitting there. They tell David, David now is coming up up the mountain, and Aruna comes down and says, King, whatever you need. <laughs> Uh, let's take care of this. Whatever you need, I'm willing to take care of you. You're the boss. I mean, get them off my land. Let's, let's take care of this. Verse number 21, and Aruna said, wherefore is my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar of the Lord that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good to him. Behold, there are oxen for burnt offering and threshing instruments and other wood of oxen for wood. So Aruna comes up and says, listen, whatever you want, you can have, just take it. You're the king. Let's please the Lord, whatever's necessary. Notice this, verse 24 or 23. And all the things that Aruna did as king gave to the king. And Aruna said unto the king, Let the Lord thy God um, accept thee. And the king said to Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee of a price. Neither will I b- offer burnt offerings unto the Lord of that which costeth me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor of the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. So notice what David said. He said, listen, I understand your heart, but I can't take it for free. If it doesn't cost me something, is it really going to honor the Lord? You know, that's where most people want to worship God. They want to worship God in a way that doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't cost me something. I don't have to wake up to come to Sunday school. You know, that costs too much. Oh, read my Bible. That cost me time. I want to worship the Lord in a way that doesn't cost me anything. David understood that if we're going to honor the Lord, it does cost us something and it needs to cost us something if we're going to honor him. Because if there's no investment, we take it for granted. If we didn't have a cost, if we didn't pay for anything, we would take it for granted. David said, no, it has to cost me something. It has to do something So notice with me, verse 25, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered the burnt offerings to the peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Now, I'm assuming that you are assuming that this is Mount Moriah. Well, let's prove it. Turn back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. You said it wouldn't be in the sermon, 2 Chronicles chapter 3. It wouldn't be in the sermon if this wasn't Mount Moriah. Well, it's always good to prove it. So, we can see that this is a significant event that's happened, uh, been important several times. That Isaac was about sacrificed, and God provided his own lamb inside of Mount Moriah. We could see that David took this city from the Jebusites. Later on, this is the place where David built an offer to honor the Lord and to sacrifice to God. Notice with me, 2 Chronicles 3 1. And Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at, Mount, at Jerusalem, at Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to David his father in the place that David had prepared the threshing floor of Aran. This is a different name of Aruna, the Jebusite. This same place David bought. He said, this is where we're going to, we had a meeting with the Lord. This is where God showed up. And so later on, David now owns this territory and now prepares it for Solomon. And it's that same location where Solomon builds the temple. And of course, the temple is going to be the place where the people come to meet with the Lord. When Solomon builds this temple, it is going to be considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. If the temple was built in today's economy, or at least, you know, 20 years of economy, it would be worth $200 billion. That's a B to make. That's probably more than you have in your couch pockets, right? It's worth a lot. And it is at this place that it was destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. It was at this place that Cyrus the Great ordered the people to come back. And under um, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they rebuilt the temple. Herod um, reformatted it. It was destroyed again in 70 AD by the Romans. Later on, the Muslims took over and they currently occupy the spot with their religious site of the Dome of the Rock but God's not done with it yet. Later on, he is going to build his temple in the millennial on that same spot. And there we're gonna worship the Lord forever inside of the thousand year reign of Christ. You understand that little hill is so important to Bible history. Now you say, what, is, what good is that? Some of you say history's fun, that's great. Why does this matter to me other than some history thing? What you understand is that you have a God who saw it all. A God who knew how important that location is. So much so when he said, David or uh, Abraham, I want you to come and sacrifice your son at the spot that I will show you. I have plans for this spot. God knew all about it the whole time. He knew everything. He knew the end from the beginning. He knew where the millennial kingdom temple was going to sit. He knew where Solomon's temple was going to sit. He knew... There was a reason why that angel of the Lord was standing on that spot. He knew exactly where to bring Abraham to. What we see is we have a God who sees it all. He sees the end from the beginning. God knows the important hills inside of your life, and he knows how to get you there. He knows how to lead you there if you will listen to him. He knows how to bring you there, and he already has plans of what he wants to do. This is a God that we can trust. That all we have to do is depend upon him. And God will do his own work. What a wonderful God that we can trust him. It brings me up to that question for you. Can you trust that God? You know, God can lead you every step of the way. He can lead you where you're supposed to go tomorrow. He can lead you to what you're supposed to say. He can lead you to where you're supposed to go to church. He can lead you to where you're supposed to learn. He can lead you to, your ne- to the person you're supposed to marry. He can lead you in all of these things. God can guide us. We just need to allow him to guide us. Step by step. Amen. Step by step. The idea is can you trust God? You see, you either live your life by force or you live your life by faith. You either live your life trying to force things to happen, make things happen, or you can allow God by faith to lead you to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. God knows what he is doing. We just have to be willing to follow after him. So what do you do with such a message? Well, first of all, it comes with a surrender. Lord, You know what I need to do. You know where I'm supposed to go. You know how to get me to way over there. Show me the next step and I'll do it. I'm surrendered. You just show me and I'll do it. Now, if you're not surrendered, he won't show you the next step. But you have to be willing. What's my next step? What's my next step? What's my next step? God knows what he's doing and he's willing to guide you. He's willing to show you. He's willing to point the way are you willing to trust him god knows what's best let's trust Him together thank you for listening to this audio message this is pastor scotty bachaus and i encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the lord if you don't know jesus christ is your savior let me beg you to take the time